Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on-topic or on-premise, and sometimes on-location or on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT experts to discuss a single idea. On today's episode, which is sponsored by NetApp, we'll be discussing the, well, evolving cloud, the evolution of the, tri of the trip to the cloud. Before we begin, let's meet who's on the panel today. Hi, I'm Joey D'Antoni. I'm Principal Consultant at Demetrian Associates Consulting, and I do a lot of work with cloud and data systems. Hello, I'm Max Portillaro. I'm a co-owner of Tech Unplugged, and I'm a storage analyst for GigaOM. Hi, I'm Jeff Baxter. I am a Senior Director of Product Marketing at NetApp. And I am Stephen Foskett. I am publisher of Gestalt IT and organizer of the Tech Field Day events and, well, host of this podcast. So thank you guys uh, all for joining us. Uh, we all uh, tuned in for the NetApp Insight keynote. We also tuned in for the special Journey to the Multi-Cloud event that we did as a Cloud Field Day exclusive with NetApp recently. And one of the things that occurred to us during that, and, and actually this is a quote from the, uh, the keynote, is that the initial journey to the cloud is over. In other words, uh, the applications and companies and so on that were headed to the cloud, well, they've figured it out, and now we're sort of finding our way, I guess, in the next phase of implementation. Or do I have that wrong? Jeff, uh, is that what they meant? That's kind of what it sounded like. Yeah, no, I think, I think you captured it very well. We were, I think, and I'll say this deliberately, attempting to be a little provocative, right? In... Sometimes we see a lot of companies out there talking about, you know, have you checked out this new thing called cloud? And I think it makes anyone who's been in IT for any period of time sort of laugh because it's not like the cloud is a new concept, right? You go back, you know, cloud started decades ago. And the reality is, although there's always this bell curve of customers as to where they are in that journey to cloud, there are very few customers who haven't at least used cloud in some sense, whether it's just using a SaaS application. I mean, if you're on Office 365, you're on cloud, right? That might be the easiest step for a lot of companies. But most everyone's sort of initial journey, um, at least for any enterprise of scale, to the cloud is over. And now it's about, you know, what do you do when you get there? I think that's really what we meant when we were sort of putting that statement out in the ether. Yeah, I think that's what we see with our customers too. Like, I would, I would say largely the companies that are not in the cloud now that we've seen as clients, either aren't moving in the cloud because they they have hardware and storage or software requirements that aren't well suited to the cloud or they think they can do it more cost effectively or it's just smaller firms that don't necessarily have the IT staff uh, to execute a cloud migration by themselves and they'll stay in a COA or even in just a hosted environment uh, for a long term. I think what we see with our other customers is just Higher, them evolving into higher levels of maturity as they move further into the cloud, their cloud journey. You know, that, that's really interesting because my experience has been very different working with uh, some large enterprises. I think there's some truth in what you've both been saying because we see uh, some functions, you know, some specific use cases. I think Office 365, maybe even uh, Azure Active Directory is one of those that we see often. You know, there are some core functions that, for whatever reason, are much better to run in the cloud. But then we see that there is a very, very broad landscape of applications which are still remaining on premises. And uh, for, for whatever reason, it may be cost, it may be simply because the organization may be siloed or because there is just not enough trust, you know, or because 
it's been running that way and we don't want to touch it. We don't want to break something. There is this kind of mentality, which was much more conservative. And of course, I'm looking more at the uh, at my side of the pond, which is in Europe. So maybe, uh, you know, the the way you uh, see things in, in the US is a bit different here uh, from that as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we in many cases, when we talk about the cloud, right, I think it's a little bit of a cheat as to how much on-prem is included in the cloud discussion. I think for the most part, we talk about hybrid multi-cloud, right? And so there's staying on-prem as a, we haven't considered cloud state, and then they're staying on-prem as a specific conscious decision because that's the best place to have your resources, right? Um, and I think that's sort of the distinction we're making is that more and more, it's companies that even though they have resources on-prem, whether it's a segment of them or most of them, that's a conscious decision that they've made as opposed to just, oh, we haven't considered cloud yet, right? And I think that's really the change we talk about when we're evolving the cloud is it's not that on-prem is there as a state of transformation. It's that on-prem is the right place to have that workload running for, for whatever consideration, um, political, legal framework, financial, um, staffing levels, different things like that. Um, in fact, you know, we've seen companies that have uh, repatriated data back from cloud to on-prem, right? So there's even that swing of the pendulum. So I think that's really what we meant about that initial journey to cloud being over is um, things have started to. And again, I'll emphasize that it's a bell curve, right? There's, there's definitely extremes in either direction. But things have started to level out to a place where people have a good idea in a lot of cases what they want to leave on-prem and what they want to run in the cloud. Yeah, for sure. The cloud work we're doing now isn't like what we were doing five or six years ago where you're doing like large scale VM migrations. It's doing things like helping customers kind of optimize their cloud estate, you know, lower cost or, or optimize architectures or even in some cases moving from uh, an IaaS architecture into more PaaS architectures. And obviously those don't work for every application, but sometimes uh, they do. Yeah, and, and it's true that you also see uh, some of those if I can call it that with laggards, you know, organizations which are, you know, taking their time, which are more cautious, they are still, as you say, they are still, uh, they are evaluating, they're running, you know, assessments on their estates, which are sometimes, sometimes very broad to understand what is going to be, what is going to remain on premises versus what is going to be migrated to the cloud. But, you know, uh, it's true that the it is being considered in every discussion now, uh, what are we going to do with this application? Do we run it in the cloud? Are we going to consume it as SaaS? Do we keep it on-prem? That's that's uh, inevitable now. I find uh, sometimes we, we've run into a couple of times with small customers uh, where they really, really should have been using a SaaS product. And I think in two cases, it was around various flavors of CRM. And they decided they needed their own custom CRM solution. And they're they don't, they don't have like a development staff. They, they have some ad source developers and it just, it never goes well uh, compared to just using a SaaS pro product. One of the things that we've seen that was interesting, one of, the, one of the studies that I thought that was really interesting was that the number of customers who are going to be on three or more public clouds plus on-prem is going to double over the next three years. So it's kind of this optimization, as you said, or or, or deepening of, of use of cloud. It's not, are we going to use the cloud or not? It's how do we optimize our use of cloud? What are the right clouds to live on, right? A lot of people may have tiptoed into their first cloud provider of choice either because um, they were wooed by all the amazing tools on AWS or they were they really want to move AD into the cloud on Azure and, and use Office 365 or 
they saw these tremendous AI toolkits on Google Cloud or, or any of the above, right? And I'm generalizing. And now they're starting to realize, hey, this is this cloud's great for this, this cloud's great for this, and this really does belong still on-prem, right? And and it's so it's that when we talk about the evolved cloud or the evolution of cloud, that's really what we're talking about. Is it's this deepening of it's not a binary yes, no cloud, click one sort of option, right? It's it's about how do I operate in this new hybrid multi-cloud landscape. That is true. And and you know, one of the things which is often because we've been talking about applications so far, but we know the, the main driver, I mean, at least in what I see, is the data that you have, right? So you have some 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 data types, some kind of data sensitivity, some regulations may force you to keep data on-premises simply because you don't have a, a cloud option which allows you to do that. I think it's, it's getting rarer and rarer, right? But that's that's one of the drivers as well. So you need to think well about where you're placing your data, you know, how big it is, whether it makes sense to put it in the cloud, because at some point you may need to pull it back and that costs you money as well. Yeah, I had a, I had a gentleman, I, I was on an Ask the Experts panel on Microsoft Ignite recently, and a gentleman asked me about migrating a 250 terabyte Oracle database into, into, uh, into his first question was about migrating into a past service, and I'm like, I, there's no past service that can deal with a 250 terabyte database, but uh, yeah, some some those kinds of things are really really challenging. It, yeah, it seems to me that uh, as amazing as it as it sounds, considering that this is still all fairly new, a lot of uh, professionals, cloud architects, IT architects, CTO, CIO kind of people, they're starting to get their heads around this thing, and they're starting to realize that some applications want to be in the cloud. And some applications don't, and it makes sense for some. And they're starting to kind of realize what these systems can do. At the same time, I think we're also starting to get some technology in the cloud that it makes things more practical. I don't want to say makes things possible, but makes it more practical to run in the cloud or on premises, uh, trans, you know, sort of transparently, depending on what choice you're going to make. So let's talk a little bit about those sort of technological aspects of it. Because at the end of the day, I mean, the cloud is still servers and storage and networks like it always was, mm -hmm. but it was very different and kind of out of reach. It was more developer-centric, but now I think it's getting more uh, IT-friendly. Is that right? Yeah, I, I'd say so. And, and I work with database servers a lot, so we're the people who consume all the I.O., sorry. Um, but you can get, yeah, for years you've been able to get servers with, in, in the cloud with multi, for probably three to four years, you've been able to get servers with multiple terabytes of RAM. Uh, I think the biggest in Azure and in AWS right now has about 12 terabytes, but even those servers are limited to like 80,000 IOPS at probably five, like if the storage is optimized correctly, you're going to see like five to 10 milliseconds of latency, which isn't bad. Like a lot of on-prem workloads would be happy to have those kinds of numbers. But at the same time, there are a lot of workloads, uh, modern workloads that are doing, you know, millions of transactions per second that would like to see like less than one millisecond latency or, or really less than five or, or even things like SAP HANA. Uh, those are those kinds of workloads that just really push IO. And typically the two problems we see in the cloud are just not having enough IOPS available to a given VM or not having enough storage bandwidth available for, for those larger uh block sizes that like read ahead workloads on databases can do. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to skip into a sales pitch, so I won't, but I will say, I, I do think that's one of the reasons why 
NetApp has looked to put our storage on the cloud because it's not for lack of there being storage options on the cloud, right? Every every hyperscale has its native storage options that we work with. But I think that optimizing for some of those um, performance-intensive workloads is one of those areas that we thought we could we could help in, right? Hence things like um, Amazon FSx for NetApp ONTAP, just, just as an example, right? And I think others, not to be a vendor-specific sort of thing, I think that's why you see others step into that space as well, is how do we really address those sort of performance challenges things in the cloud? Yeah, and, and just to, to follow on like the, the technical side of that, uh, I think all the vendors have VMs, and, and I don't want to speculate as to what NetApp's building their solution on, but all of the cloud vendors have VMs that have a lot of NVMe storage available to them, and it's really fast and really low latency. But for example, if I wanted to build a database on that, that storage is also ephemeral, which means I need to come up with a way to persist my data across reboots and things like that. Uh, so... And I know besides storage vendors, I know of one database as a service vendor uh, who operates in multiple clouds who built their service on that type of storage as well, because it's pretty much the fastest storage you can get in the cloud because it is local and much lower latency and can has higher bandwidth to it. And you know, the other thing as well is that you may have some applications which are running in a given cloud, some others are running on another cloud. You may have applications which are on-premises. You may want to replicate data from on-prem to the cloud, or you may, you may want to replicate from one cloud to the other because you may want whatever level of redundancy, especially if your application is highly critical. Maybe you want to you know, uh, have some ways of protecting against a failure, especially if you're putting everything in US East one, in AWS. But uh, the, the, you, you kind of need a, a kind of a common language, a common framework, a common way of moving the data, right? So I think it's really important there that you use the same tools so that you're not introducing another layer of complexity. You know. If you want to copy data from one place to the other, et cetera, I think it's really important there that uh, that you can streamline your operations as much as possible in a transparent way without having you know to uh, uh, to adapt and and kind of create some custom code or custom you know whatever functions to to move data from one place to the other. And and this will lead into your sales point, Jeff. <laughs> uh, I, I think. Uh... I think one of the th- one of the challenges of that is organizations go multi cloud. There are like two main challenges or three main challenges, in my opinion, and and they're all rolled up into one challenge, which is staffing. Right, like it's getting the right people. VMs for the most part are VMs. Like it's pretty easy to have VMs, or you can even use VMware, and, and they'll abstract that layer for you too. But storage and networking and security are very different uh, on those clouds, and like how you configure storage, like. There are some specific things you do in Azure to get the to pull the IOPS that you don't necessarily have to do uh, with the way EBS volumes are in, in Amazon. So, like, I think having to have that knowledge is a real challenge, uh, and having staff engineering staff that can do that is also a challenge that uh, the biggest challenge that organizations face because there still is a talent gap there. Yeah, I think when we look at, you know, from a NetApp perspective of having our storage available on all the clouds, and we've actually embraced two directions, one available in the marketplace and and now available as sort of first party native services from Amazon and Azure and and Google. It was really from two perspectives. One was, can we solve for perhaps a performance challenge on each one of those? And we kind of talked about that briefly. And the other was for, you know, companies that truly are going to go multi-cloud, can we simplify things, right? So can we make it so it's a learn once, deploy many sort of situations so that if you have, um, you know, if you've chosen to use ONTAP and, and NetApp products, and I'm not 
I'm not getting into a competitive situation, but if you've chosen those, then wouldn't it be cool if once you learn it on prem, you can use the same exact thing on Amazon, Azure, and Google, and it cuts down on that sort of complexity, right? Um, any storage OS by by definition is going to be any fully featured storage OS is going to have some complexity to it. But once you master it, you shouldn't have to remaster it in each new cloud you're on. And that was really the goal. And and also one of the things I think that's key to having NetApp um, available natively in all the major clouds as well as on premises is that you can basically use all the same storage services. And I think that's a big uh, gap that has been present in a lot of cloud solutions as well, is that the, uh, the sort of the, the fundamental services that people expect in um, enterprise storage just weren't part of the clouds. But of course, that's changing, and there are more and more companies offering advanced storage services. But I think that there's a, um, a real attraction to having exactly the same services available across multiple clouds. Though I'm not sure that the whole multi-cloud uh, bandwagon is maybe all that it's cracked up to be, but it does seem like there's at least some interest in multi-cloud and some interest in overlays and some interest in having the same services in different places. And, and storage can make that happen by allowing you to move data and to access the same sort of fundamental uh, underlying processes depending or regardless of which cloud you are using, right? I, I think that's why you've seen NetApp make a big bet. You know, we announced Blue XP, which is our hybrid multi-cloud offering. And, and that was our big bet that people are going to want this sort of unified control plane for storage and data management across multiple different clouds. Now, at the same point, I think we've also acknowledged that there's going to be people who just want to manage within the constructs of their cloud, right? So one of the cool things we've done is, you know, say you have ONTAP storage on um, AWS, right? You can manage it directly through the AWS console. In fact, it's an actual Amazon product. It's not even our product, right? Amazon FSX for NetApp ONTAP is an Amazon product. You can manage it entirely through their portal. But then if you move over to Blue XP, if you provision a new volume out through the, F through the Amazon um, console and you go into Blue XP, it shows up there too, right? So one of the key things for us is not trying to be monopolistic about it. We're not saying if you choose to use Blue XP, that is all you can use. We're the one ring to rule them all sort of thing, right? We're acknowledging that some people are going to want to do operations directly within their cloud of choice, and we welcome that. Other people are going to want to have the hybrid multi-cloud view, and both are right. The, the key then is to allow unified visibility through either portal. Now, what's not going to happen, I, I'm going to guess. I'm not going to speak for them, but I don't think you're going to have any of the cloud vendors say, okay, here, we're going to let you have visibility to all the other clouds and manage them. Right, that just doesn't seem like it's in character per se, but for us, it's perfectly within character. Go ahead. I, like the, the and, and I think Amazon has something like this too, but I'm a little more familiar with Azure. You do mm -hmm. have the ability where like you can install an agent on your virtual machines and then have them yeah. manage back through the other cloud. And yeah. I could see them doing something like that, but but yeah, yeah when you're dealing sure. with a primitive like storage, or, yeah, you're not going to be able to see that probably. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I don't want to speak for them, but it, it makes sense to me at least. Yeah, and, and it's true, you know, uh, we're, we're just completing, and you know that, Jeff, as well, we're accelerating cloud file systems where we're covering, you know, uh, uh, NetApp on top and those cloud variants which exist as well. And it's true that the vendors are really, uh, you know, making sure that even if the NetApp solution itself allows you to manage a kind of a multi-cloud environment, then they're making sure that they're really, you know, talking about their solution. But it's it's what you say, right? That's what you both say. You have the options to manage everything together, right? So uh, 
I think that that's the to me it's the value of uh, of a tool like BlueXP, especially if the fr from if you take it from the, uh, the the persona perspective, you may have different persona in the organization which are working on the data. Mm -hmm. So you may have uh, some a team of experts in Amazon, you know, people which have been working on that, they're certified, whatever, and they love working in the Amazon environment. On the other hand, you may need to hand over operations to a team of, uh, you know, ge more generalist folks, if you will. I'm not saying these days that you're a, a generalist like you were five or 10 years ago, right? But the, the fact that you have a, con a, a consistent, seamless experience across cloud, I think, I mean, to me, at least it's really important from a manageability, you know, and ease of use perspective. Yeah, I look at it as, so it's interesting. One one challenge we tried to solve for is bringing together all these different audiences into a unified control plane. That that for us is Blue XP. And we're trying to solve two problems. One is joining all these clouds together so that you can operate across them as this sort of uplifted resource plane, at least for data and infrastructure management. And we do a similar sort of thing on application and compute with our, our spot portfolio. Um, but the other part is, and someone mentioned this a little bit earlier, um, is how you enforce sovereignty across that. So it's this concept of bringing everything together, but also segregating different pieces. So for example, um, keeping all of your data in EMEA, if you're an EMEA-based company, is, is going to be big, or within the European Union, for example. Um, public sector customers are going to want to keep it um, within certain governmental clouds, right? Um, so that, that, I think, is one of the next frontiers, is how do I bring everything together from a unified perspective, but then apply tenancy and RBAC and sovereignty concerns to make sure that your data stays in the place it's supposed to be, right? And that's where you've seen us invest in a whole bunch of governance tools and observability tools within BlueXP so that we can actually tell where your data is and remediate if data leaks. And we're not even talking about external data leaks. That's part of it. But more, does you, has any of your EMEA data leaked over into your US-based data centers? And that's something maybe you don't want to have happen or vice versa. Those are, I think, some of the next frontier of hybrid multi-cloud is once you get that visibility across all of it, how do you provide uh, sovereignty for data in certain places? And how do you also provide sort of RBAC control so that only the right admins are acting in the right place on the data? Um, and I think that's one of the big things. In discussions I've had with cloud vendors, they even struggle with the sovereignty problem to an extent uh, on their backend logging systems because maybe there's not capacity in you know, a region for them to do the logging they need to do. Uh, so I know in some discussions I had with, with one of the vendors, they spent they had to make some pretty big investments to ensure that stayed true on their backend systems because it wasn't to begin with necessarily. Yeah, and, and it's true that, um, you know, uh, the more we go into those kind of, you know, uh, spread out multi-cloud environment, I think understanding your data footprint is becoming, you know, very, very important. So as you said, data management becomes really critical. You need to understand what data you have. You need to have the visibility. You need to be able to search. And, and categorize, classify your data. You need to be able to put in place policies and make sure that, uh, you know, that any data movement that you make, any activity you make is not violating those policies. Yeah. One of, one of the things I loved that we were able to do in that Blue XP dashboard is once we got all the data visible from one place and brought all the services together is we could do things like a ransomware protection dashboard, right? Just a single... and and. I actually love the fact it's a, and, and not to toot our own horn, but a single score, right? Because it makes it very easy for admins to go in and say, okay, I have data in 15 different data centers across two different clouds and on-prem. Um, and every morning I can check and make sure that ransomware score is 100, right? If it's not something, I, I need to fix something. And to provide that AI ops given sort of guidance on what to fix. 
I don't think we're making a claim and, and you should never trust any vendor who says, if it says 100, you're absolutely protected and you'll never get hit by ransomware, right? There's zero days. There's all sorts of other fun things. There's guys like me from marketing who will click on emails, right? So I, I, far, was at a, I was at a ransomware conference this morning and I want to turn yeah. off email for our company, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It's like, I, I'm so lucky I haven't been the one to click on it, but I know it's only a matter of time. And, and, but, but what we can say is we put, we put you in the absolute best position across all of your different data so that it's protected. And I think that opens up so many more possibilities with managing data, with stewardship of data. One of the things we talked a lot about at our Insight Conference was sustainability, right? So we introduced power reporting across our entire on-premise state. You could envision a future where we start to up-level that and even say, what's your carbon footprint look like across your data estate, right? So starting to get to sustainability footprints and different things like that. Um, and, and it just gives us that ability when we truly have that hybrid multi-cloud view to introduce all these really simple tools to manage what's an incredibly complex problem across the hybrid multi-cloud. Yeah, if I can touch on that, you know, that's a discussion which I have with a lot of vendor and people, and it's really interesting, all of the implications of that, right? For example, you may, uh, if you're able in the future to do that, then it's a very, very complex problem. But imagine you have some data which may be, uh, you know, suitable, which may move around, right? So you may think in which data center am I going to put it? You may be in a country which has a, very, a lot of green energy production where energy is cheaper. I can move my data there and therefore I can somehow improve my, you know, uh, sustainability posture. We're not there yet, perhaps in terms of having all of that, but I see a world where we may have corporations may have to report on that, on their efficiency, you know? Yeah, I, I see a world too. And and that's, I mean, today we have, at least on, on our side, on the NetApp side, we have the data portability. So if you determine that, there's a better net zero data center somewhere or, you know, more urgently right now heading into winter in Europe where energy prices are through the roof. If you do have the ability to rehome um, non-sensitive data and, and it's not particularly latency sensitive, then being able to drag and drop and move that data to a lower energy cost location, even just for the winter, um, no one's underestimating data gravity. You're not going to do that to 10 petabytes, right, um, overnight. But if you can move some workloads around and have that happen transparently in the background in Blue XP, that gives you that flexibility to deal with these really interesting um, and in some cases terrible geopolitical events that are going on right now. Yeah, it really gives you that uh, a new meaning to the term data migration. Uh, it's like, yeah. you know, uh, hibernation, migration. Uh, <laughs> so uh, to me, the thing that really got to me about the announcement of Blue XP and, uh, and specifically, and just what is happening right now with some of the leading enterprise companies generally is I'm seeing them bringing some of the expertise that was developed over literally decades of open systems technology in the data center and bringing that to the cloud. And, yeah. and I think that that's one of those interesting things. You know, it, there's always a push and pull between new ideas and um, lessons learned. And one of the challenges, I think, with some of the cloud solutions uh, generally and, and some of the cloud technologies specifically, you know, Docker and Kubernetes and so on, is that they didn't actually bring forward a lot of the lessons learned about storage generally and data management um, into those products. And they just sort of said, well, it, somebody's gonna, somebody else is going to have to solve yeah. that. And so I'm really glad to see enterprise companies that are saying, you know what, let's bring, in a way, XP expertise. Let's bring yeah. expertise into the cloud for the enterprise, not just technology, not just blocks and files. Like yeah. let's figure out how we're supposed to be managing things, how we're supposed to be monitoring and operating them. 
And, and I think that's the most powerful aspect of products like this. Yeah, we, we've loved being able to take the DNA we've built. You know, we're NetApp celebrating its 30th birthday now, which is, uh, you know, I don't know what that is in dog years for technology companies, right? But uh, we've been able to keep reinventing ourselves by moving things to the cloud and, and not having to reinvent the wheel when we move storage to the cloud has been huge, not just for our customers in terms of not having to relearn, but huge in terms of our ability to relearn that DNA and not have to reinvent storage just because it's on the cloud. Um, you know, and the other thing for us is it's this tremendous advantage because your on-prem storage customers are not going to upgrade their storage OS monthly, right? Nor would we ever advise them to, right? It's just not, it's, it falls into one of those, if it's not broke, don't fix it sort of categories, right? But in the cloud, we can do at least quarterly drops of ONTAP. We can see what works. We can accelerate development and then push that back to on-prem and back and forth. So it's really provided benefits for our customers and it's provided benefits for us in terms of innovation. It's storage platform as a service. Yes, there you go. Yeah. I think you've coined a term. Now, I have to say that uh, I was really excited when I, uh, when I saw uh, Blue XP and uh, I really like what it, what it brings to the table. It's really, really simplifying operations uh, for a lot of organizations, data management and so on. So that's really the kind of the hypervisor uh, we needed somehow for multi-cloud in a way. Jeff, do you want to put in a last word? Yeah, so I, I just I think this has been a great conversation. This is really what we what we intended to start at Insight was this conversation about, you know, what is the evolved cloud? What does it manage, mean to as the hybrid multi-cloud evolves? And so, you know, we talked about some concepts. If you want to learn more about them, I will do my one cheap plug. I think that I'm authorized to do, Stephen. So um, if you want to learn more, you can go to netapp.com slash evolve dash cloud. And if you want to learn specifically about Blue XP, that's our data infrastructure hybrid multi-cloud offering. It's uh, netapp.com slash bluexp. Simple as that. Excellent. Well, Joey and Max, uh, if we want to continue this conversation with you, uh, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at jdanton and, or my blog at joeydantoni.com. And you can find me while Twitter is still a thing at Max Multilaro mm -hmm. on Twitter and uh, on techandplug.io slash blog. And as for me, you can find me right here in the on-premise IT podcast, as well as our Utilizing Tech podcast and our weekly rundown. Uh, just find those in your favorite podcast app, or you can find me on most social media networks, including Mastodon, as S. Foskett. <laughs> if you enjoyed this discussion, please do remember to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Uh, give us also a rating and review in your favorite podcast app, and please do share this show with your friends. This podcast was brought to you by NetApp, as well as gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to gestaltit.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.